Good evening to everyone. My name is Dave Frankowski and I'll be your moderator for today's class. And welcome to another lecture given by the Oceanside California class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. The school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given unto our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year of 1958, and we hold classes in the United States and in various other countries. The Oceanside class was established in 1994. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe, and the president, Dr. Carl Emler. Now in this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title for the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The correct name of our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The correct title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. And the correct name of the Holy Spirit manifest in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Now, Lord and God are titles, and they are not named. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike the titles of Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. It's a divine title because it's the title that our creator has chosen for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name, and a minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, the Greek, nor the Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that's made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our own English language until some 1400 years after the death of the Messiah, which would make such names as Jesus and Jehovah impossible renderings for the true name of our Father and his son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, the limits, and the bounds of everything that exists. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We've drawn this cloud to extend all around the edges of this chart 
to show that everything on the chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. Now, this form can only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifest himself in a physical body, and he walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, who the whole world calls Jesus Christ. Now there's only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So a simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what did they call the Savior when he walked the earth plane? And a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface to the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It's the divine pattern because it's Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he called Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and he showed him this threefold tabernacle pattern in a vision. Later on, Yahweh instructed Moses to build a physical one in the wilderness, just like the one he had seen in his vision on the mount. The tabernacle pattern is a threefold pattern consisting of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one the tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and it operates according to the structure and the function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. The school has 10 primary constitutional objectives and aims, and they are as follows. One, to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Two, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, to investigate the unexplained spirit law, or so-called law of nature, and the powers latent in man. Four, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religion, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Five, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained 
There is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. And 10, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. We'll begin this afternoon with a prayer by Dr. Linda Volpe from our Oceanside class. And we'll have a scripture read, which will be Romans, the 12th chapter. And that'll be read by Dr. Gary Geller, also from our Oceanside class. Am I coming through? Yeah. Okay, thank you. We got you. We got you. Okay. Um, we want to bow our hearts and minds to our Heavenly Father, Yahshua, and thank him with all of our heart and soul that he found it in, him, in his grace and mercy and infinite, infinite being to pull us out of the world and bring us down to a place where we can know for an assurity things about our creator. And to just even the thought of that is just so, um, it makes us so appreciative and so humbled and so uh, so I'm turning off the I can hear you Jerry <laughs> anyways um, we want to thank you so much for everything you've done for us and all the gifts you've given us spiritually and physically how we know that if we're if, if we're a son then who can be against us and we just thank you in these latter days for the stability and and wisdom and knowledge that and with the stability, wisdom and knowledge that Jerry, I keep hearing you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for um, showing us something about your purpose and plan. We thank you for the brethren. We thank you for the technology available in order to have these Zoom classes and be, uh, be together with the brethren and to be edified. And we ask you to keep working with us and keep us, keep us moving forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. And we ask you to put your spirit in us to cause us to walk worthy in your purpose and your plan. And with all of those blessings and, and uh, thank yous, we just in, the, in your precious name, thank you for revealing your name to us and giving us your spirit. And let us all say hallelujah. 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 I apologize, Linda. I don't know how I got unmuted. I know. It's like, <clears throat> no problem. Anyway, I'll be reading tonight Romans, the 12th chapter from the Holy Name Bible. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Yahweh, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto Yahweh, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of Yahweh? 
For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think beyond that which he ought to think, but to think soberly according as Yahweh has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in the Messiah, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving Yahweh, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of sons given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but conform yourselves to the lowly. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give way unto wrath, for as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith Yahweh. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans, the 12th chapter. Thank you, Dr. Geller and Dr. Volpe. Uh, this evening, we will have a three-speaker format, each speaker getting approximately 35 minutes. Our scripture readers this afternoon will be Dr. Bruce Geller and Dr. Reba Zahar from our Oceanside class. And our first speaker this afternoon will be Dr. Jerry Geller from our Oceanside class. Well, I guess Bruce won't be reading after all, so somebody will have to, to take his place. You know, I was I reading, <laughs> whoever to do it to it, um, go ahead and go to the scripture lesson and, and just read that first verse. Romans 12 and 1. Yes. Um, okay, I thought I didn't unmute. Okay. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Yahweh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto Yahweh, 
which is your reasonable service. See, I just love that. First of all, it's not like we're going to present our bodies. Like you see the commercial of somebody up at the end of the volcano ready to throw somebody in. And, 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 and actually people did offer up their children unto false gods. But that's not the kind of living sacrifice he's talking here. He's talking that we need to make that sacrifice unto Yahweh with our lives. That we present ourselves to whatever Yahshua the Messiah would have us to do. And that's like one of the hardest things, I think, to, to come to that realization. I guess the realization to me is when you realize you already are taken beyond control and you're going to do it one way or the other. But the attitude that we should be having is what is it that we need to, that we can do uh, as a sacrifice unto, unto Yahshua the Messiah. Because we, we should be the most thankful people on the, the, the face of the earth. We have been given so much by Yahshua the Messiah. When, when I go visit family and friends that aren't in class, I come home every time so appreciative of the knowledge and understanding that Yahshua has just given me for no reason, nothing I did of my own to deserve it. He just chose me out of this crazy world to know and understand him. We have been delivered from the bondage of ignorance, just like the children of Israel were delivered out of the bondage of, out of the Egyptians. And they were so oppressed with the, with the um, building of Pharaoh's treasure cities. And, you know, we get so obsessed with the building of Pharaoh's treasure cities down here in this flesh with making money and all the things of this flesh. But we need to realize and be thankful. Yahshua has delivered us from those things. And he's brought us down and given us a true knowledge and understanding of him. And the least we can do is to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to whatever Yahshua would have us to do. You know, when Bruce would I make a, a nice dinner for Bruce? He's like, the least I can do is wash the dishes for you after you've slaved in the kitchen all day. He's like thankful, not that he's earning his, earning what I gave him, but he's so thankful and appreciative for what I've done that he's willing to give back to make things easier for me. And that should be our attitude towards Yahweh. He has given us so much. What is it that, and, and to who much is given? What's, you know what that scripture is? To, to whom much is given, much is required. Does any of our scripture readers or somebody know which scripture that is? Anyway, the scripture talks about to whom much is given, much is required. Luke 12:48. Go ahead and read that for me, please. Whoever, Luke 12 and 48. You can pick it up if you need to. All right, Luke 12, Luke 12 and 46. 
The master of the servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his master's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Now, but he, we, keep, we keep hearing the fact that there's no works of righteousness, and there really aren't works of righteousness, but yet and still we're reading here that we're supposed to be preparing ourselves. We're supposed to be adjusting ourselves to his will. And really, we'll, we'll have the, if the spirit in us, his, his M.O. is, is thy will be done. And that's what our MO should be and will be if it's Yahshua the Messiah that's within us. We're going to be driven to do those things that are his will. Now read that again, Dave, for me. Starting at 46. Yeah, go ahead. The master of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he is not aware. And will cut him in asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his master's will and prepared not himself. Now we know our master's will. We know what Yahweh's will is. We need to prepare ourselves. Read. Neither did according to his will. Shall we be need to go according to his will. Uh, that doesn't mean we're earning works of righteousness, but when we know what his will is, we're going to, that's our, what we'll be pressing to do. And we know what his will is for us is to come to class. When Dr. Kinley had this vision and revelation, Yahweh asked, what are you going to do with what I, what I've given you? And his response was, I'm going to teach your people. And that should be our same response when we've been given this great vision and revelation from Yahweh Elohim. I'm not saying we're going to be of the caliber of Dr. Kinley, but our mission in life has changed now. We're not being, as it reads in the scripture lesson, conformed to this world. We're being transformed, and our mission is now to get this great gospel out to whoever whoever will hear it. Now keep reading where you are over there in Luke, Dave. This is 48. Uh-huh. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. In other words, whoever he's given the most to, more is required of that soul. So if he's given you more understanding than the next person, that's nothing to boast about. That just means you got more work to do. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I, I did this, um, this exercise once. I remember it was a long time ago at the library in Oceanside. And I had paper bags. We had a bunch of kids in this in class. And I had them each pick a bag. And they were, and I said, there's money in each and every bag. 
and people were lifting the bags and some of them were really light and some of them were really heavy and people were like grabbing for the ones that were heavy. In reality, there was the same amount of money in each one of the bags. There was a hundred pennies in one. There was a dollar bill in one. There was four quarters in one. Everybody got the same amount, but some had a heavier burden than somebody else. There are people that have heavier burdens and more responsibilities in this class, but that does not negate the fact that each and every one of us has this has the responsibility to present ourselves a living sacrifice unto Yahshua to whatever it is he would have us to do. Now go back to the scripture lesson and go ahead and start again in verse one for me, whoever was reading Reba, I think. Okay, Romans 12 and one. Mm -hmm. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Yahweh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, mm -hmm. holy, acceptable unto Yahweh, which is your reasonable service. Now, when they offered a sacrifice up in the daily tabernacle, didn't they have to examine those sacrifices? And, and when they offered up a sacrifice, it's not like they could say, you know what, that lamb over there has, 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 rabies i think i'm gonna offer up that lamb because he doesn't have much value no yahweh wanted to you to offer up your best you had to go mm -hmm. look for your best sacrifice and examine that sacrifice to make sure that what was being offered was your best now yahweh's given several yashua's given several um parables and examples of how it's not about the amount there was the woman that gave the might versus the man that came and gave all this money but the woman gave everything she had and it was just it was it was like worthless to the rest of the people that were watching but to Yahweh it was everything she had and he had respect that he was that he was she was giving everything she had and that's what our attitude should be now. It doesn't matter. One of the parables was one guy was given five talents. One was given three talents. I don't, I know the amount could be off. I think it was 10 and five and one. And the one with 10 doubled what he was given. The one with five doubled what they were given. And then the one that had just a little bit thought, oh, you know, didn't do much with it and buried it in the sand. He wasn't willing to, to invest with what he had to cause an increase to take place. And some of us wonder, doggone it, how come there's no increase taking place with me? Well, maybe it's time you did some investing because you can't, in, in, you can't invest. If you don't invest, like in the stock market, you can't expect to gain increase if you don't invest your money, if you don't at least put it in a bank and make interest, you aren't. If you just leave what you have just sitting there of no and just on the table, it's not going to grow more interest. You have to in, make some kind of investment. And we should be making an investment into our future 
We will be if Yahshua, that's the whole thing. It's Yahshua, the Messiah, that will just drive us to do those things that he wants done. See, now go ahead and, and read there, Reba. Uh, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of Yahweh. Now, it's the renewing of your mind that's going to prove what is his good and acceptable and perfect will. Because that's what his will is, that our mind would be renewed. And when we have that zeal that Yahshua gives us, it's proven what his will is. It's proven you know, we, we sit and we wonder, how's this going to work with Zoom? How's this going to work with YouTube? Uh, back in the day, is how's this going to work with uh, whatever we were on? Like, all of a sudden, it was there, and it left us just as quick. Well, do to present this gospel to as many people as we can and look just look at the fruit that Yahshua has caused we would have never thought that in every country of the world people listen have listened to our classes we wouldn't have dreamed that we'd be having people drop in to speak that have come into class from Africa and Vietnam and all over the whole world as a result of Yahshua causing us in our hearts to present ourselves as sacrifices unto him to preach this great gospel. And you read on in this scripture lesson. In fact, go ahead, Reba, start at three and keep on reading down. Verse three, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly According as Yahweh hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Yahshua, and every one members one of another. to have lungs you need to have a liver you need to have a stomach you need to have all kind of body body parts that work together as one to cause a functioning body to be able to to function and it's the same way with the body of Yahshua the Messiah we have many members in this same body and and not all the members have the same office. There are speakers. There are there are people out there that are just really good listeners. That I know when when we have class, I just tend to gravitate to look to them because they're just there and and just such a good listener and an encourager of a speaker sitting in the audience. You don't know that's a big. I miss that on in Zoom not having somebody. You know that's right and on the. Or with their head and that eye contact but that's a vital thing you have scripture readers you have and, and and whatever it is you know just 
It's like I was noting when I came into the Zoom class today. It's like I miss our bodies from Syracuse now that they're back at their regular class. I miss having them here because just having the presence of more people and having having people that are willing to to put themselves out there and and make themselves available is just such a blessing. And and it's it's like we should be willing to to do that, to make ourselves available unto Yahshua and, and to say, oh, you know what? I just, you know, I really don't feel like being used by Yahshua. That would, that's a scary thing because we should be saying, use me. Yeah, I know there's a song I used to love that we used to sing in our choir, use me, yeah. And it was, it was, it, whatever you need me to do. And you see people that manifest that. What do you need me to do? I remember once, I remember once sitting at a convention and somebody came up and asked one of the deans, if he, another person, if they would help moving chairs. And the person's like, you don't understand. I'm a dean. And I'm like, really? <laughs> it's like whatever you're asked to do I mean who cares if it's moving chairs because somebody needs to put the chairs where they need to go somebody needs to sweep the floor and clean the toilet in class we all are members of the same body and you know what I've stubbed and broken my little toe so many times and let me tell you when you break your little toe you might not think that that little toe is very important but when it's broken it, it affects your balance it affects how you walk it if it, it i i get done after a day with a broken toe and my back's killing me cuz i'm just out of alignment my whole body's been out of alignment cuz i broke my my little toe we think that Oh, that's not an important part of the body. But there, every single part of the body is important for whatever reason it is. And, and we should be, and we're all, as it says, we're, we're all members one of another. Mm -hmm. See, it said in there, no man has ever hated his own body. We shouldn't right. be hating one another in the body of Yahshua the Messiah because we're all, we all have the, function of working together to promote this gospel to the world for the saving of a soul. Now go ahead and, and read verse five, read. So we being many are one body in Yahshua and every one members one of another, having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, whether prophecy let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. So he did. Here, whatever he gives you to do, you just do it. If he tells you you need to, to teach, then teach. If you need to exhort, then exhort. If you need to just be a giver and give to people, then just give and give it with simplicity. If you need to be in charge or ruler, just do it. Do it diligently. Do whatever you're asked to do and do it to the best of your ability. And, and that should be our attitude towards Yahweh. And you know what? Like it says in the first verse, it's our reasonable service. 
You see people that have whose lives have been saved by by um, even in Afghanistan. How grateful they are to the people that have risked their lives to and, and given their lives so that they might have have life. And how grateful they are. And and and, and I owe you one. And and I commit myself to whatever you need. And that should be our attitude. Yahshua saved us from eternal death, not just a little tiny death down here in the earth plane, eternal death of life. He saved us from being in chains of darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what he saved us for, from. And we should not be like the children of Israel who came out of the Red Sea. They were for our examples. And we should not be following after their examples of disbelief. Because they got out there and they started whining from the second they got there. Oh, I don't have the leaks. Oh, I don't have this. Like, put your big girl panties on, if you will, and, and get, get busy. Get busy manifesting Yahshua. And you know what? Maybe it's just a little kindness. Maybe it's just thoughtfulness towards a brother. It doesn't, Yahshua will tell you what you need to do. But I can tell you one thing Yahshua has told us right in the mouth of Dr. Kinley. He said to come to class and be there. And when he said come to class and be there, it wasn't like come to class if it's, if it's around the corner from you. I'm not saying you need to go to every actual physical class in the United States. I'm just saying it's not come to class if it's convenient for you. I try to go to every class I can, and sometimes I can't make it to class. And then I'm like, I'm so thankful for YouTube that I can go back in and watch it after the fact. But it's like, what is, what is your intent? I don't even think on Saturdays. What am I going to do tonight? I, I don't even think about it. Because I automatically, it's like an automatic, it's like paying my my mortgage and or my car payment. It's like, I don't think, I wonder if I'm going to do that or not. You, you, you just do it because that's what's got to be done. And, and we, I get really surprised at the, amount of people in some of these Zoom classes. And it's like we've got a small handful of people that are carrying on this gospel down at the end. And it's like, what happened? You know, I went to Vanderclamp, there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. What happened? And, and, and you just don't, they aren't, they don't participate. That's not their thing. Well, I can tell you what, it would be a lot easier for me, especially today. I could turn on my swamp cooler air conditioner if I watch class on Zoom. And it would be a lot easier because I have a big TV instead of we're trying to hear even with a fan on, on a little phone and the speaker what's said. But we do that because we want to present ourselves in case we're needed for what? I don't know. We're here just in case you need somebody to say the prayer or the scripture or if you whatever, whatever Yashua would have need for me to do. Anyway, I didn't mean to like be a... Uh, be a downer. It's not my point. To me, it's more an encouragement because we know that down at the end, he's separating the sheep from the goats. 
he's shepherding those that are just like, I'm following the shepherd and I know my father's voice. And then the goats are the ones that, but, 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 but they got all these excuses why they aren't doing, following the shepherd and doing his will. And he's separating those that are following the shepherd and are zealous from those that aren't. He's separating the wheat from the, from the weeds. The weeds are the ones that aren't bearing forth any fruit. He's hewing off those branches and they're being burnt with fire. And when we look right now, Dr. Kinley said to keep our eye on the Middle East. And then, and then not only the Middle East, but what's going on even in our own country. There's so much going on. This world, we're on fire and then we're being, there's floods and hurricanes and pestilences and diseases and all those signs and plagues that are testified that we're going to see down here at the end. And we keep thinking, oh, this just isn't going to get any better, is it? No, it's not. And it's not supposed to be any better. We're down here at the end. And seeing as we are down here at the end, what should our attitude be? but to press on towards the mark of the high calling that we may know and prove not only with our mouth, but with our actions, what is the will of Yahshua the Messiah? Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Dr. Geller. And our second, second speaker this afternoon will be the Dean of our Rhode Island class, Dr. Sue Sikelski. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, I'd like to continue in the vein that uh, the first speaker was was talking about. Could we go into the scripture reading and start again at one, please? I'm back, Reba, by the way. Um, Romans, the 12th chapter. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Yahweh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto Yahweh, which is your reasonable service. Now, and if we can if we can stop for a moment and think about what Paul is saying there, um, I think it is easily clear that he's not talking about our physical bodies as an acceptable, holy, living sacrifice, because none of us, from a natural standpoint, when you think about what the sacrifices were under the old covenant and the correlation that he's making here, um, our natural bodies were never going to be um, what Yahweh would accept as the sacrifice in the tabernacle, um, whether it be a sacrifice for sin or of thanksgiving or a wave offering, whatever it was, we don't meet that, that criteria. And as time goes on and our bodies decompose while we're still walking around in them, sometimes it feels like um, it, it, it's very clear that we're not going to meet the mark of the high calling to be a sacrifice. So he continues to talk about in verse two, if you'd read that, please, Bruce. 
And be not conformed to this world or age, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Prove what is your what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of Yahweh. So the the potential body for us being acceptable unto Yahweh which is Jerry had already mentioned, it says in verse one, being a reasonable service. So it's not even something that's extraordinary or out of what one could consider just what should be. It, he's talking about the renewing of your mind and what is conformed not to this world or this age, but to the will of Yahweh. The only measuring stick we should have is that vision and revelation of Yahshua that we have, knowing that that's the only acceptable um, uh, offering to the Father, the only acceptable um, son to the Father, and that it's the renewing or the transforming as it talks about in verse two of our minds that allow us to, to start being um, even consider that we might be on that path to our minds being transformed and proving what is acceptable. And it's the proving to us. We talked about it back with, Israel in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, where Yahweh put them in circumstances that was to prove what was in their heart. And we've realized that the proving that needed to happen was to them to show that they did not have a heart that could be obedient and that loved Yahweh. It wasn't to prove to Yahweh what was in them. It was to prove to themselves. And so we recognize that the, the, path that we're each on and the journey, the migration that we're on is to prove to us what's in us and to show us where we're lacking and where we still need to have that transformation, that renewing. And um, let's get Paul, um, let's take a detour for a moment. Paul talks about that relative to himself. I think it's in Philippians um, where he talks about pressing towards the high mark mm-hmm. um, third chapter of Philippians. And um, let's start a little ways down in the beginning part of that chapter. He mentions what his, I guess what we could call his resume or his background is um, to, to tell people <clears throat> that he has the ability to make the statements he's making, which sound a bit boastful and sound a bit um, arrogant when you first hear them. But once you realize where he came from, having studied extensively, being, as he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, as far as what he studied and gained through um, learning the law, and then his zealousness for persecuting the Yashuans because he believed them to be blaspheming what he understood at that 
point in time to be what Yahweh, what he thought Yahweh wanted being done. So he goes through that whole litany of his background. And then he talks about, um, let's start at seven, if you could. Philippians 3 and uh, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Yahshua. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the ex excellency of the knowledge of my Savior, Yahshua, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win the Messiah, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Yahshua, the righteousness, which is of Yahweh by faith. All right. So he says that all the things that he would tell you about from his background that you should be impressed with and that um, he highly valued until Yahshua revealed some things to him. He counts all that but dung. And he recognizes that his right his righteousness was worth nothing, and that it's the righteousness through faith which Elohim had had then given to him through the revelation. Um, keep reading, verse ten, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of by the Messiah, so he's saying that he's still got a lot to learn and he recognizes that he's um, he needs to apprehend or understand or grasp a lot more things about Yahshua, the Messiah. He was shown enough in and had what we would consider a stupendous vision and revelation when we read about what actually happened to him and how he was turned around in an instant from what he understood and saw through the revelation that Yahshua gave him. But he says he's still not perfect. And the margin, um, and if you look in Strong's and, and or the margin in your Bible, perfect is usually um, discussed as complete or mature. It's not necessarily our sense of perfection as we might define it, because the only definition of perfection is really Yahshua the Messiah. And Paul, in looking at that, knows that he's still not there. That's, that's not what he's achieved, but he recognizes that that should be the only thing that he's striving to, to, um, to reach in his, in his growth. Um, keep reading here in 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize 
of the high calling of Yahweh in Yahshua. All right. And so again, he's reiterating what he's looking at is Yahshua. And he's pressing towards the mark. He calls it the prize of the high calling. That's what he's he's looking forward to and leaving those things that are behind. He's not spending a lot of time and energy bemoaning the fact that he was persecuting Yashuans or that he didn't understand anything until a short while before this time frame when it was revealed to him. He's not wasting time and energy on the things that can't be changed. He's looking forward to the things that Yahweh has him looking at and learning and that are transforming his mind. Read. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. If any, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, Yahweh shall reveal even this unto you. Okay, and so he's talking to the to the class there and trying to give them the benefit of what he's seen in his state of mind. And he's saying, and if there's anything that you need to be brought into this state of mind, Elohim shall reveal this unto you. Um, and he continues on to reinforce the same principle. But if, if we're back in Romans 12 again, where we mm -hmm. were reading, um, yeah. this, is, this is the transformation of our minds that is being talked about. 12.2, actually, so do you want okay, that? Okay, go, yep, go ahead, Bruce. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good And as Jerry was talking about, and Paul goes on in this chapter, it talks about all the different types of gifts and the um, things that are given to each of us as part of the body. And that we all are members of the body, but may have different offices, may have different roles, may have different gifts. And as we read through this chapter during the scripture reading and it talked about all the things and the way we should be thinking about all these things. It reinforced for me how short we fall as of yet with having our minds in the right frame of mind and living up to that, that vision that, um, uh, high calling of Yahshua setting the, the bar for where we want to be in spirit and in truth and in our mind and in our outlook on life and in the way that we interact with, with others and how we're living in the spirit. This whole chapter, you get to the end of it and you think um, maybe one or two of those things we feel like we've made some progress in, but all of, all of those other things, it's like, we still got a lot of, a lot of growing and transforming to do. And with, through the grace of Yahshua, hopefully that will happen. Um, it, 
one of the things, if um, I can kind of pull in something that's been on my mind recently, um, I had read an article in a recent um, AARP newsletter or, or magazine, um, newspaper, whatever you would call it, that some of us who have reached old, the older age, now they're marketing to over 50, ages over 50, um, they have some interesting articles in there. Um, and there's one in the July, August edition of the AARP Bulletin that talks about noise. And I've been thinking about how much noise there is in, in the world and in our lives as we continue kind of moving along and trying to find some peace and stability and understanding as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And um, it also brought me back to a time many years ago when one of our class members asked a question um, at the end of a class and said, how do you stop the noise? And she was referring to the noise in her mind, mm. um, which was a very thought-provoking question. Mm. Um, so let me skip that particular story for the moment. Um, and in this article and subsequent things that I had researched, um, it talks about how noise it says the end of the pandemic means the return of noise and a surprising number of health issues come with it. So the reference point of this article is that things got quieter during the COVID pandemic in 2020. And the fact that things were starting to go back to normal had some implications relative to, um, to our health because of the return of noise. So it says in here, um, loud noise is more than just a threat to your hearing and your quality of life. New research suggests it can seriously damage your health. Daily noise exposure may figure significantly into your risk of severe stroke. Researchers found that living in a noisy area like a city or next to a highway increases your risk of severe stroke by 30% while living in a quiet green area can reduce it by up to 25%. And here's how that works. An incessantly loud environment stimulates a part of the brain known as the amygdala, which regulates stress response. And the brain reacts by increasing blood pressure and levels of a stress-related hormone called cortisol. Both are known to cause a host of cardiovascular issues, including stroke. The American Heart Association warns of an increased risk of heart attack for those who are regularly exposed to excessive noise, like the kind found near airports and highways. Chronic stress is also a well-established contributor to deaths relating to immune system suppression, diabetes, uh, arteriosclerosis, which is plaque buildup in your, um, cart uh, your vascular system, psychiatric illnesses, and possibly cancer. Exposure to noise slowly murders the critical hair cells within your cochlea that are key to the creation of sound in your brain. That's the um, hair cells in your ears. Although one big blast of noise can cause instant damage as well. The resulting hearing loss 
increases your risk of cognitive decline. So if your hearing declines, then they, found, they have a, found a link between your brain's ability to stay active and um, crisp and um, functional relative to, to the world around you and, and how you're perceiving and processing things. So the other um, information that I found that I wanted to kind of share relative to this principle of noise is that um, they have found that, let's see, second to air pollution and roughly on equal footing with exposure to secondhand smoke and radon, um, exposure to loud noises um, have been flagged as a major physiological stressor, um, second only to, to heart problems. In the last decade, a growing body of research has linked noise um, to a number of cardiovascular ailments. And scientists are beginning to understand the mechanisms at play. Numerous studies link chronic exposure, um, let's see, heart, uh, nighttime mortality, meaning um, how often people die at night relative to during the day. Um, and they found that the, there's one culprit in particular, changes in the endothelium, which is the lining of your arteries and blood vessels. This lining can go from a healthy state to one that's activated and inflamed with potentially serious ramifications. And this lining acts as an intermediary, um, as a filter, as a um, liaison between what flows through your, your vessels, um, lymph, uh, blood, um, they list a couple of other um, fluids in your system. So it's really your body um, wide where this lining gets inflamed and can't properly process um, what's, what's flowing through. And it can um, do high blood pressure, um, cause strokes, heart attacks. Um, so all this made me think a lot about noise, not from a natural standpoint, although some of us may um, realize that that's a bit of a, a impact in our lives as well, depending on where we live or what job we do or whatever. But the noise in the spirit, the noise in our minds um, is a major disturbance and only getting worse in this creation. As we listen to the news daily, as we interact with people who seem to have a short fuse, um, the drivers, the pedestrians, people waiting in line, you can see this chronic annoyance and, and high stress that, that seems to be prevalent everywhere and is the opposite of what we have come to realize can be attained through the knowledge and the understanding that there's a creator who has a purpose in, in action and that the things that we are learning, the things that we are able to see, the principles that we're able to understand from the activities, the natural things around us, all of those things provide a damper to the noise. They're like those um, noise-canceling Bose headphones that everybody seems to have these days and that people like on the airplanes and having their, um, have the headphones on when they're jogging and 
Um, this gospel, the, the ability to understand what is true and what is real and what Yahweh is doing is a noise canceling headphone effect for us. And it allows us to have peace and quiet in a world that is getting increasingly noisy and elevating everybody's stress levels um, and their ability to, to deal with the world that causing cognitive decline in um, people's abilities to just function in the world because of everything that's going on. Um, and I'm trying to um, talk about this from a spiritual principle standpoint um, because I've just looked around and I realized, I guess one of the things, just as an aside, one of the things that um, caused me to think more about this after I had read these articles is that I was able, I was blessed recently to be able to have a couple of weeks away on a vacation in a place that's nice and quiet and peaceful and able to allow for just sitting and, and reflecting and um, having some natural peace and quiet. And um, when I returned and started back at work and I lived near an airport and, um, you know, out running errands and the drivers are out of their minds and the traffic is bad and all of those things, the contrast between in the natural between where I was and what I came back to just made me think about how blessed we are in the spirit to have the ability for some peace and quiet and some um, calming um, uh, effect on our spiritual body from what we've been shown and what we understand. Now, if we go into, um, well, let's get the definition of noise in, in the dictionary, if somebody can do that for me as just a, a reference point. What is noise? Rib, you got a dictionary? I just happen to have that. That's just, cool. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> do you want to read it, Carl? Yes. I, Please. Uh, so um, there's a lot of uh, definitions. Let me just pick a couple that may be in line with um, uh, what you're talking about. Okay, so, go to it. One of them would be uh, um, one of a series of repeated to and forward movements. So just noise like going back and forth. But, um, oh, wait a minute. Just hold on. <laughs> Let me just do this real quick. Give me a second. Okay, here we go. Uh, any sound that is undesired or interferes with one's hearing of something. Loud, confused, or senseless shouting or outcry. Hammer. An unwanted signal or a disturbance uh, in an electronic device or instrument. Uh, All right, and so just um, as an as additional comment for that, in one of the definitions I had looked up, it specified 
in communication theory, which I'm not familiar with, but I assume is a study of certain things. It says that it's um, a disturbance to um, a normal transmission um, that um, I'm trying to deflect the sound temp momentarily or um, somehow uh, impacts the normal um, communication of the sound that somebody is trying to, to send along. So it's Storage. a disruption of the pattern of the sound. So in a lot of cases, there's what is called background noise, which is mm -hmm. un, uh, you know, unrelated to the signal that you're trying to send. So in high quality uh, music uh, reproduction, the uh, ideal is to get the lowest background noise so you can mm. hear the right. finest dif differences in the uh, the songs or the music at the lower ends, particularly. Okay. And you also have uh, four different types of noise, continuous, inter intermittent, impulsive, or low frequency. All right, and that's science that I'm um, not familiar with, so can't comment further on but I'm sure there's a lot of different types of noise. Um, it's a, this is an easy one. Any sound that is undesired or interferes with one's hearing of something. Okay. So, and so that's, you know, generally what you're seeing with the traffic noise and stuff interferes with yep. even a discussion in your house, etc. Noise is considered, un, um, it's an unfavorable, it relates to sound, but it's an unfavorable effect of some sort. Right. The etymology is nausea. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw that. Um, and I looked up <laughs> nausea as a word and it comes from a very different root um, or etymology. So not sure how those two go together, but um, it's possible that bad noise could make you nauseous. There's yeah, no question about that. Is. So, um, and you've heard about noise pollution, the phrase noise pollution, yeah. um, which is also another use of um, where it interferes to the point of um, a toxic effect on something, um, city dwelling, what, whatever. Any other definitions? Well, there was something they were tying it in with being seasick also because it throws off your equilibrium. Mm-hmm, it does. Or it can, yeah. Done. All right, so if we think back through what we know um, in, the, in the Bible as an example of some history that Yahweh worked with, um, you could talk about what happened with Dathan and Korah as creation of some noise. Um, yeah. That's in number 16. It, why don't we get that and try to just pick up a few of the verses? Because I just want to bring up a few examples um, that we're paralleling today with some things um probably starting right at one number 16 one i got it go ahead 
Okay, now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliah and An, the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And okay, get- so... So we have we have some men in Israel that rose up before Moses, and there were two hundred and fifty princes of the assembly. It says they were famous in the congregation, and they were men of renown. And I believe if you look up renown, um, it picks up rumor. They were men of rumor. Um, they were considered big shots, and they were the you know, the celebrity, so to speak, uh, within, um, or the, the royalty, so to speak, of the nation of Israel at that time. Read, continuing in three. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, you take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And Yahweh is among them. Wherefore, then, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of Yahweh? That's a question. Okay. And so they confront Moses and Aaron, and they, they say to them, you're taking too much upon yourselves, seeing that all the congregation are holy, and Yahweh is among them. Why do you lift yourselves up above them? So they're, they're coming up in Moses' face and saying, and they're questioning, they're actually not questioning Moses, they're questioning Yahweh, who set Moses and Aaron up in front of the congregation. But they're they're saying, we're just as good as you guys are, because Yahweh, we're all holy, and Yahweh is among us. And right. so it, Yahweh sets up something to answer that question that just got raised. And um, turns out that Dathan and Korah did take too much upon themselves, and Yahweh was not happy with that question. And Yahweh settled that matter pretty clearly relative to that to prove that he was the one who set up Moses and Aaron, and that Dathan and Korah didn't have a leg to stand on, so as to speak. Um, we're not going to read through the rest of the chapter. If you're not familiar with that story, please do read the rest in, in number 16. Because it's a very, um, Yahweh gave an emphatic response to that question and left no, um, no question in anyone's mind as to what the answer was. He, five minutes, we also, Dr. Sikowski, five minutes, please. Okay, thank you. We also hear about when Moses is up in the top of the mountain and Yahweh is um, giving him the tables of stone the first time relative to the commandments being written on them to bring them down to the people, we hear about um, the hearing the noise of war in the camp. And Moses comes down with Joshua and the, um, they have built the golden calf to worship. And um, let's see, Exodus 32, let's get that for a moment to get the wording of this, which is another great example of noise, um, disruptive noise, noise being something that that carnal mind and that um, nature that we don't want, that we want to have left behind. 
um, is manifest in the scriptures. So let's see. All right, we're going to pick it up at 17. And no, wait a minute. Hang on one minute. Let's see. Um, it, let me make a few comments. At the beginning of the chapter, it talks about Moses has been up in the top of the mountain and it was covered in a fiery cloud. And they waited for a little bit, um, the 70 elders and at the midpoint of the mountain, and then decided that Moses must be dead because no one could live in that fiery cloud. So they mm -hmm. went down and they um, wanted to make gods or make something to take them back into the land of Egypt because they no longer had Moses to follow. So... Aaron um, had them take off their jewelry and um, it goes through a process of how they melted it down and made um, a molten calf to worship and, and said that these were the gods that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, which we know it was the arm of Yahweh yeah. against Pharaoh that, so this was a slap in Yahweh's face this whole process and what they said they were doing and what they wanted to um, uh, attribute this to. And so let's, let's see. Um, let's pick it up at 17. Moses and Joshua are up in the, still up in the mountain. And this is all going on down at the bottom of the mountain. Exodus 32, 17. And when, Joshua, oh, yes, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear? Okay. And so up at the top of the mountain, Joshua heard the noise of the people and they were down at the bottom and they were partying around this molten calf that they had made and said was they were, um, essentially they were worshiping it as the God that brought them out of the land of Egypt. And Joshua says there is a noise of war in the camp. And so, um, and it's, he says it's not the cry of them for being overcome, but for them that are singing. So if you understand the state of mind that's going on here, Joshua heard war because they were outright um, blaspheming and slapping Yahweh in the face, not acknowledging that he was the one that had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. Right. And they were partying around this golden calf, and it was it was horrible noise to Yahweh's ears. Yeah, it was. It would go back to the nauseous discussion. It was. It was. I can't even find the right words to say how 
how bad what was going on was and that noise that was the noise of the mystery of iniquity having influenced those people to have totally forgotten about what Yahweh did for them and that he promised to deliver them and that he had, he was, you know, still taking care of them. Um, And as Jerry had mentioned, they, every opportunity they had, they whined, they complained, they, it was, Noise that we don't want to to replicate, noise we don't want to have in our heads, right. noise that is um, terribly offensive to Yahweh. It, think about fingernails on a blackboard or yeah. that kind of a noise that just totally um, makes makes your your system go go wonkers. Um, we are thankful that the noise in our heads, going back to what I had said about our class member who said, how do you stop the noise? Mm-hmm. The reality was that given a little bit of time and listening to the gospel preaching and getting some comfort from knowing and understanding the truth, at a future point in time, she said that all of a sudden she realized the noise was gone. And she didn't know... It wasn't a specific moment in time, but she looked back and she realized that coming to class and listening to the truth and meditating on that which Yahweh had given her stopped the noise. Yeah. And that is, I, I think, all of our testimony doesn't mean the noise has totally gone away or that some new noise doesn't enter in from time to time. But we have the ability to have he who keeps his mind on Yahweh, I will keep in perfect peace mm-hmm. and has the effect of quieting that noise and allowing us to have that peace and that stability and that calmness that we're not seeing around us in the world today. And in those that have not stayed the course with the true gospel in this teaching, there's a lot of noise being taught as as gospel and we have the ability to to discern and avoid being impacted by that noise um by staying with the truth and keeping the the sound from being deflected by things that will that will cause noise so i hope i realized that was a little bit scattered Um, I hope people were able to understand the principle that I was talking about. And I'm sure that there's a lot more that can be done with that. And I look forward to hearing um, other people maybe being able to expand on that principle. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sikelski. And our third speaker will be the president of the Oceanside class, Dr. Carl Emler. Well, um, that was a very interesting endings to a discussion on uh, at the end there on noise and um, let me say a couple of things about that and I want to get over to the scripture reading for a moment Um, this noise that we see depicted here with the children of Israel dancing around the golden calf and 
uh, Susie was talking about how trying to find words to describe um, the negative uh, effect that this particular instance would have on someone, I'll, I'll put it in my own words, on someone in Moses's position. Because you have two different things going on. You've got Moses up at the top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, receiving a, a divine vision from the creator and these natural physical uh, stones that have the covenant uh, um, written in them to deliver to these people who he had expected would be waiting patiently for him to come back after having seen uh, from the midpoint of the mountain a vision of Yahweh Elohim uh, uh, that they all partook of, which should have in Moses's mind, I'm sure, should have impressed upon these 70 elders the significance of the situation that they were in. They'd been brought out of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh, who had them in bondage, and the Egyptians, to whom they were slaves, um, prior to them coming out of Egypt after the 10 devastating plagues, um, they were able to borrow from the Egyptians um, precious metals and precious uh, uh, cloth and precious dyes and things of this nature. All the things that uh, uh, Yahweh knew they would need to construct the tabernacle in the wilderness, they didn't have that stuff in their tents. Uh, they got that from the Egyptians. And then uh, after they got that, and they crossed through the Red Sea with uh, their um, spoils, then the very people, the very people's army who would come and take that stuff away from them were killed in the Red Sea. And they witnessed this. They witnessed their um, uh, uh, um, saving, being saved from this devastation. And, you know, you look at these people right now who are flooding the airport in, Af in Kabul, Afghanistan, to try to get on one of these transports out knowing the viciousness of the Taliban and ISIS. You got two pretty vicious dogs that once their escape is no longer available, they will be utterly subjected to these people. And so you can imagine the, the, the relief in their hearts on these transports as they take off from the ground, knowing they actually are leaving this, this country, this death. And this is what uh, Israel felt on the other side of uh, the Red Sea, where they sang the song of victory. Uh, Pharaoh, by the time they before left, was pretty angry with them and wanted them to build, you know, make stones with 
with no brick. They had to make the brick to build the temples and stuff like that. So he had turned on them in, in, in as much a way as he could without losing them. Um, and so they were delivered from that. And this thing that you see with them raising that golden calf uh, was not long after that deliverance from Egypt. And so, and if you read about their deliverance from Egypt, as soon as they got out in the wilderness, they um, uh, have a change of heart with respect to the song of victory. And now they're attacking Moses because where's our water? And you take your much upon yourself. We want to be making some of these decisions ourselves. And, you know, we, you know, we want to be a part of this, this, process, you know, Susie pointed out that these people were men of renown that uh, raised them. And if you look up renown, and she had, had talked a little bit about that, but one of the definitions, the first definition is that these are men who were conspicuous in their um, um, uh, presence. And so you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees who wore the fine clothes and walked around with the, you know, writings in their hands and their, their heads held high and, you know, making everything about themselves to be so much greater than the fishermen and the, the, the other people who were just uh, worker bees, if you will, back at the time of the Messiah. And so you have the same thing going on here in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, this thing that was going on, this noise was the noise of singing and uh, laughter and all this uh, as it's associated with this golden calf, which is a god of Egypt. And they, you know, erected this so that they could turn around and go back into Egypt. And so here comes Moses after 40 days in the, in the mount, getting uh, a vision uh, of parts of Yahweh or, or Yahweh Elohim's purpose and getting these stones that were written by their Elohim himself. The finger of El has carved through these stones. He, Yahweh Elohim carved these stones out and gave them to Moses. This is a precious gift. And it was a serious thing to Moses from start to finish, this whole trek up the mountain, the whole dealing with Yahweh Elohim and coming back down to, to uh, um, uh, present all this to the people. And he gets down there and they're laughing and partying as though nothing's going on. Moses is gone. All the rest of that stuff was just, you know, hype. And now we're done with visions of Yahweh Elohim. We're done with Moses. We're done with Joshua, the son of Nun, and we're having a happy, good, go lucky time. And that is uh, a noise that is blotting out the efforts that Yahweh Elam has put through Moses at the top of that mountain, as reflected by this table of stone. And Moses comes down and he gives a great shout uh, and throws these stones down and breaks them and essentially gets their attention. And uh, uh, of course, they're, they're 
desires have been uh, dashed now with respect to going to Egypt and, mm-hmm. and, and Yahweh got Moses actually has got their attention and there's blood to be paid for, for that, for those who would not uh, repent this, this activity. But this noise, Susie ended her discussion with the uh, statement. And I got to, I can only put it in my own words because it was so long ago, I'd forgotten exactly how she said it, um, said that the noise that we have now is, again, in my own words, uh, the erroneous preaching of the vision and revelation that Dr. Kinley had. So Dr. Kinley claimed to have had a divine vision and revelation to the extent that uh, he had confidence that it was in fact the truth, that it was in fact not of man's uh, uh, um, thought processes, but it came directly from the creator of the universe, including man himself. And he had complete confidence that what he was shown uh, could be explained and proven beyond the shadow of a doubt so that he could stand in front of the world and say, look, I had a divine vision and revelation, make me prove it until you're satisfied. See, uh, and don't believe it just because I said it. And that is contrary to the noise that's out there. All these other ministers are um, uh, vying for your ear with their theories, concepts, and opinions and they're not interested in hearing you question them at, at any point. But Dr. Kinley made the statement, uh, make me prove it. And now this very self-same um, uh, uh, source of doctrine has been um, turned into a laughing stock. The people who are misrepresenting uh, the true gospel of Yahshua, the Messiah, uh, are um, dancing and, and singing their own praises. They're patting themselves on the back, and they are now the men of renown, those who are conspicuous, they who have some kind of an office and some kind of a stature, and you should listen to them because look who they are not because they're capable of proving anything. As a matter of fact, they have changed the gospel to such a degree that if you ask for proof, you are the mystery of iniquity. Now, this is some noise that Susie's talking about. This is the background noise that we have found ourselves up against at the end of this age. And, uh, and it's no small thing to Yahweh. And uh, in, 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 um, in looking at this with respect to the damage that these background noises, et cetera, can have yeah. on uh, the comfort levels of an individual. In other words, you can't get comfortable if there's always noise going on. And so the mystery of iniquity now has taken uh, to have um, uh, uh, disregarded 
the truth. And I, and I, I, I'm, I hesitate to use the term disregarded the truth without going all the way back and showing just how it is true. And it's true not because of anything that we in these classes say. Look at the, the things that uh, one hears spoken um, uh, ministers in this class who have adhered to the divine vision and revelation initially presented to them uh, from the founder. Those truths that you hear establish the validity of the conclusions that uh, are made. Here's what I mean by that. Look at, um, we understand that the world thinks that Jesus Christ came to institute a Christian way of life. And if you've been around these classes long enough, we've uh, shown beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, Yahshua, not Jesus, Yahshua is the name of the Messiah. That name Yahshua means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh being salvation was reflected in the wilderness of Sinai in this tabernacle because when the children of Israel sinned, they brought a sacrifice to this tabernacle. And on the day of atonement, the high priest operated in this tabernacle. And the culmination of that operation was his entrance into the most holy place uh, on the third trip uh, into that most holy place, wearing garments of beauty and glory, carrying the whole of Israel on his shoulders and on his chest or in his bosom, carrying that son of Israel uh, in his bosom up before the father and uh, in the, the flesh of the Shekinah uh, uh, indicates that Yahweh, not the high priest, Yahweh, the Yahweh, the father uh, 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 had uh, forgiven the sins of Israel. And they went another year uh, without being, having to pay for those sins with their lives. But that's what Yahweh did. Yahweh granted them uh, uh, by mercy and grace uh, forgiveness uh, for their sins. Wasn't the high priest. The high priest just did the service. Yahweh did the granting. So Yahshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. And it's, you, you know, one says, well, what difference does a name make? That's the difference it makes. Jesus doesn't tell you anything about who does what. The definition of Jesus in a dictionary is he was the say the, the originator of Christianity or something like that. It doesn't even have an etymology or an actual meaning like the name Yahshua does. And so this is undeniable. This is not part of anything that this class has created. This is something you can find in Encyclopedia Judaica, Encyclopedia Britannica. You can find it historically. You can find it in other words associated with the Hebrew language that carry the same characteristics. Uh, so you find out that uh, salvation is mentioned in res with respect to Yahweh or Elohim all the way down through the law and the prophets. Uh, and, and it's not just a, a fluke at the time that the Messiah comes. And then when the Messiah does come, he's very specific about what his purpose is. And it's not something that uh, anyone can dispute and, and say, oh, we made that up. It's just not that way. When the Messiah came, he said he came to fulfill 
the old covenant that was given to Moses and move it out of the way. Paul in the eighth chapter of Romans uh, reiterates this and he calls that law that Moses got the law of sin and death. Because when they sinned, they were worthy of death, which is why the tabernacle in the middle of um, uh, the the wilderness of Sinai relieved them of that punishment, uh, forgave their sins every year because it was a law. If you sinned, you died. It was a law of sin and death. And Yahshua brought in a whole different law. He brought in the law of the spirit of life in Yahshua the Messiah. That's a whole different law than what Moses had. And you and, and one wonders, well, how do you know that, that there was a second law or a second covenant? And I'm not going to get these scriptures because there isn't time, uh, but I'm, I'm doing it this way because it is so important to recognize that there is uh, amongst all this noise that's there's a truth, an, an independent, verifiable truth, independent of the Oceanside class, independent of any kind of an international or physical organization, or independent of anybody's concepts, theories, and opinions, as Israel had these concepts, theories, and opinions back when they danced around that golden calf, that there is a spiritual or a, what you might call a religious truth that is verifiable that comes from this book we call the Bible. And the Bible is just not uh, just another book uh, about some kind of a man's thought about religion. It's just not that way. Because when you look at this tabernacle, not only does this tabernacle repeat itself down through the law and the prophets and into what you call the New Testament to establish that this one book has got one thought all the way through it. But this tabernacle, and it says it up at the top of this Moses chart, is the archetype original pattern of the universe. And so we can take this pattern and extract principles in this pattern and show how they operate in science, how they operate in your Bible. And uh, it doesn't matter who, what you want to think about Moses or, or, or uh, the Old Testament. Somewhere along the line, someone had to have had some kind of divine inspiration yeah. to describe a pattern that fits the uh, immunology, say, that we have going on now with a pandemic. Uh, we're not going to get into that right now, but I mean, just the way your body is put together and the way it has an immune response and how that is protective and what that immune response is against establishes what Yahweh has done with Israel and setting Israel up as a schoolmaster or uh, uh, an example. This is all in the, the scriptures. It's all in what you call the Paul's letters, et cetera, that this law was a schoolmaster to bring us to the Messiah, not to bring us to another out in front of the, the, the state capital, some state or some country. It's not what it's not something you're gonna hang around your neck, but it, it's it's this uh, uh, law of the spirit of life in Yahshua the Messiah. 
And this is what is spoken about in the, uh, if I've got it right, in the 12th chapter of Romans. Uh, he's talking about a kind of a nature, a kind of uh, an essence, not that your minister has, not that your rabbi has, not that some uh, uh, archbishop has or some pope has, but this is talking about you and me. We are immersed in this gift of the Holy Spirit, and it has a reflection. It has an action on our souls, and it makes us to be totally different than what we were before we encountered uh, this understanding, this spirit of salvation, because the spirit of salvation brings us above the noise, and there's a lot of noise, and Susie was talking about, it brings us above the noise of false doctrine, you understand? It brings us above the noise within ourselves of just what we think is true versus what we bow to as the truth, because the witnesses establish it down through the law and the prophets and in the creation. What we think is true is a lot of noise. And we bring, we're, we're, we may come into this class dead on arrival, but we're shouting and screaming. We're, a, we're a, like these dead bodies, you know, sometimes when you put them into the furnace, they just scream because the air rushes out of the, uh, the, the, the lung cavity through the vocal cords as the pressure changes. Uh, Alba Hobbs talked about this. <laughs> yes. uh, so uh, uh, we, as dead people, uh, sometimes scream our theories, concepts, and opinions, and it takes the spirit of rest, the spirit of peace, the spirit of joy in our individual hearts to cause us to have a change, to become quiet and humble in the face of the truth of Yahweh's purpose. And, uh, and the thing that I was thinking about as I was listening to Susie and, and, and Jerry was that, and I'm always amazed by this, when I went to Lutheran church and sat there uh, and during the time that the ceremony was going on and the minister had his robes on and the incense was there and you'd kneel, you'd hold the bar down and you'd kneel and then you'd stand up, you'd chant back and forth. And I had a pretty good feeling about doing all that. I just felt you know, on cloud nine, in a sense, uh, that I was in this place, this church and worshiping God and all this. And then as soon as I left, I forgot all about it Yeah, because it wasn't something that affected who I was. It was something that I did. It wasn't something that did something to me. And so, you know, there was never a sense that you know, uh, if I don't keep up with something, I'm going to go to hell. Uh, and I think that the, the Roman Catholics had a better sense of whether they were going to go to hell or not, because they, they had mortal sins. I didn't even know what a mortal or venial sin was as a Lutheran. Uh, but Catholics sure knew about those things. Yeah. And, um, and so... But they didn't even mean anything to Catholics. Mortal sins didn't mean anything to Catholics. Mortal sins were things you were supposed to go to hell for. And venial sins 
Uh, if I got it, if I got it wrong, you Catholics tell me venial sins were things you went to purgatory for. Yeah. And so, you know, but uh, the mafia, uh, the Italian mafia in, in the middle of the last century uh, committed a mortal sin or two here or there. And uh, they received the last rites and were Catholic, religious, sign of the cross people all over the place. And so the, their deep uh, belief in the Roman Catholic culture did not keep them from uh, putting someone in wet cement and throwing him into the river. Uh, and they'd walk away from it and have dinner with their family afterwards and say a prayer at the table of Thanksgiving for the food they had. So there was no effect on the hearts and minds of, of people. And then you have the people who, uh, uh, because of their carnal nature, are able to um, uh, act in such a way as to appear righteous. You know, so they're non-competitive, maybe they're maybe they're quieter. So you don't hear the their rambunctiousness, etc. Maybe they don't have certain uh, 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 hyper uh, desires of the flesh. You know, some people you know, have a pretty high sex drive and some people almost have no sex drive at all. And so those people with no sex drive at all could make themselves look righteous because if you look in the scriptures, you can find a lot of issues with people who are overtly uh, promiscuous, if you will. And so people can make themselves to appear righteous, depending on their nature. And so they take advantage of that as far as when they read the scriptures and associate their ability to do these things that appear righteous with being righteous. And again, when you understand Yahweh's purpose, that was the whole function of the law that was given to Moses, is it was a way to make them appear right if they if you could keep all of these commandments you would be righteous but Yahweh knew that they couldn't do it that they didn't have the heart to do it and here is the 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 great mystery in Yahweh's purpose because people read through this old testament and look at the things that Yahweh does and says well what kind of a stupid thing is that to do to give them a covenant that they can't keep and then kill them for not being able to keep it. It just doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't until you understand it. And because uh, Yahweh has a purpose always that's in the spirit. And the spirit doesn't mature in Yahweh's purpose uh, until the day of Pentecost, uh, uh, A.D. 50, was it? Keep me straight. Uh, uh, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahshua the Messiah, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that was the maturity of Yahweh's, that's the beginning of the maturity of Yahweh's purpose. That's the beginning of a of an ascension that mankind takes in their soul to go from being uh, dead and carnal to being uh, alive and, and spiritual. Yep. And so 
since uh, uh, the carnal existence is a temporary existence, it is not eternal, but the spiritual existence is eternal, then if Yahweh has set up a purpose that uh, uh, looks crazy from the outside, but has an end result in uh, establishing you with a spiritual life instead of a carnal physical life, then all was worth it. In other words, all the effort that Yahweh put in setting up the example with Israel as a typical nation, that means that they were an example. Israel was a pair, a living parable. We had a parable read uh, today uh, 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 in one of the scriptures. And so, you know, the Messiah would speak in parables, but Yahweh Elohim spoke in parables and the parables that he spoke in was Adam and Eve coming out of the garden, uh, uh, Noah uh, preaching to an unrighteous world at the end of the uh, uh, antediluvian age, uh, the before the flood age. Uh, he spoke the parable of, of Abraham. Abram to Abraham was a parable that Yahweh spoke to the world. And he spoke the parable of Moses. And, and in the parable of Moses, there were two sets of stone. Gosh, why would there be two sets of stone? One was given to Moses from Yahweh and he broke that. And the other, Moses was told to hew out his own tables of stone and bring it up to Yahweh. And Yahweh decided to write in Moses's table of stone or Moses's heart. And that second covenant you read about in, in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel is going to be written in you. You are going to have something written in your heart. And if you're not getting something written in your heart, then, then you, the best thing you can do is stick around because without getting something written in your heart, uh, all is lost. I hate to put it that way, but we want to go from the person that we found ourselves to be when we encountered Yahweh to the person that Yahweh has declared we can be, which is uh, the delight of his soul in our hearts, which is why Israel... Uh, uh, the, 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 the high priest's garments had uh, the 12 uh, stones on, on the breastplate representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And Yahweh said to Pharaoh, let my son go that he may worship me at the mountain. And Yahweh considered Israel his son, you understand. And uh, uh, in the wilderness, there were two sons. There was the son that died and never got out of the wilderness, the first generation. And then there was a son that did get out of the wilderness. But when it got out of the wilderness and went into uh, uh, Canaan's land, it had to be circumcised. It had to have flesh removed in the head of the reproductive organ. And in the spirit, Yahshua is the only one capable of reproducing because Yahshua is Yahweh's salvation and it manifests his ability to bring forth life like he called uh, a Lazarus forth out of that tomb. And so uh, uh, we now, uh, and I don't even know uh, 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 where to begin because we, we don't have time, but in uh, 12 and nine of Romans, let love be without dissimulation. 
abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. These are things you can only do with the spirit of Yahshua in you, because right. that high priest brought them, them up in his bosom. In other words, that breastplate was where his heart is. And uh, the this only son of Yahweh, if I can put it like that, Yahweh Elohim, was in the bosom of the father. That son was in the bosom of the father. So now you're in the bosom of the likeness of Yahshua, the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, which was represented by that high priest in those garments of beauty and glory, doing the work of the tabernacle as Yahshua did the work. So the high priest offered up that sacrifice as Yahshua offered up the sacrifice. The high priest did the washing of those sacrifices. So Yahshua washes you with his words, his uh, words are uh, water. Uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It was his spirit uh, that was anointed. So the high priest has that anointing oil. See, in the high priest, that's the door the high priest goes through into the holy place. And that's the same door that we go through, Yahshua the Messiah, to come into an invisible uh, ministration where the light now is the, the candlestick and likened unto uh, the distribution of blood in your body with the uh, 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 aortic arch. And, and Yahshua, he, he's the bread of life. And so you have that table of shoe bread. He's the inter intercessor. So you have the, and these things are all written there. It just happened to be written uh, in, that he's the intercessor, not Mary. That's noise. That's uh, laughter and bringing us back into carnal worship that marries a co-redemptrix, if you will, or, or an uh, a mediator between man and Yahweh because she'll go to the sun and, and, and placate for you. Uh, what sun, and this is their doctrine, what sun? Five minutes, Dr. Amler. Thank you, uh, uh, Dave. What sun uh, uh, can... Uh, 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 deny his mother her wish, you understand? And Moses was the mother of nobody. Uh, uh, Moses uh, was an intercessor for Israel uh, directly to Yahweh's face. When Yahweh wanted to wipe them out, Moses says, no, blot uh, 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 my name out of the book, not theirs. Moses gave up his life what made Moses do that? There was no noise there in Moses' heart and mind. And it's the same nature and attitude that Paul had when he said, uh, my heart's desire and prayer to Yahweh is that Israel might be saved because I bear them record that they have a zeal of Yahweh, but not according to knowledge. That's Moses speaking to Yahweh. Uh, uh, in the wilderness of Sinai, I blot my name, if you will, out of the book of life. And Yahweh uh, knew just what he was doing. And he knew uh, that he had instilled in Moses that spirit of uh, humility and forgiveness. There wasn't a man more humble any place than Moses was. See, that's in the book someplace. And so you continue reading in, in uh, uh, Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, uh, fervent in the spirit, serving Yahweh, rejoicing in hope, 
patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, uh, distributing to the necessity of the sons, giving hospitality, bless them which persecute you, uh, bless them and don't curse them, curse them not, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. This is a nature that I never expected that I would be uh, uh, expected. I never expected that I, I never expected that anything was expected of me at all, except maybe don't kill somebody. I don't know. But these things that we read about that are uh, 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 the works of the Holy Spirit in us are powerful things, uh, impossible to be done by a carnal mind. They can be mimicked, but they can't actually be done. And these things are done between you and Yahshua. You don't need to convince me you have the Holy Spirit by any stretch of the imagination, by anything you do, because sometimes you're going to act to me like you don't have it. It's none of my business. Yahweh's working with each and every one of us, but you need to stand before Yahweh alone and by yourself and bow your heart and mind to him and let that be uh, uh, your sacrifice, a lowly, humble heart to, to Yahweh's purpose. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you, Dr. Emler. We'd like to thank everybody who participated in our Zoom class today. We'd also like to thank those who have viewed us on YouTube. We hold our Zoom class here every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. At this time, I'd like to ask the class to stay muted until the live stream has ended. We'll now be dismissed by the doxology, which is taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let us all say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.